you'll notice in your worship guide this, this scripture is from Revelation 3, but if you're going to turn in your Bibles, I'd rather you turn to Hebrews 10 if you can only choose one place and hold it there. We'll dig into that passage a little bit more, but uh, the Revelation passage is sort of a, an umbrella to this topic. The series is the Disciplines of Grace, and it's a topical series, and it really builds on each other, which is a little bit hard in the summertime. You guys travel, uh, I'm preaching six of these sermons, and I'm not preaching about another five or six, so uh, we're building on each other, but it may be a little bit challenging, so I do quite a bit of recap, and what we're learning about is that in the Christian life, there is something we can do to grow in Christ, right? We don't just wait around. God has given us means. And that can be intimidating, but the good news is these are means of grace. These are things that we do not to improve ourselves, but to abide, as we just sang, and to move into Christ. The first, uh, le- the first one we talked about, which was the second sermon, was the discipline of preaching the gospel to yourself, of believing the gospel, of believing what is true about you. Then last week, the third sermon, we looked at uh, what it means to get into Scripture and to feed on Scripture. Those will continue on. This morning we're talking about prayer, and I hope what we'll understand a little bit of is that prayer is one side of the conversation with God. So if our relationship with God is like a relationship, you need constant and consistent Scripture intake, but you also need prayer. You need both. If all you do is read the Bible, but you don't pray, that may not, you may not be getting the Scripture in you. And if, if all you do is pray, but the Bible's not informing your prayer, again, you're going to have a little bit of a lopsided faith. So, we believe that you do both. These are both means of grace. Um, okay, Revelations 3.20 is going to be a bit of an overview. And let me just say this about this morning's discussion on prayer. Uh, there is no way to preach one sermon on prayer. A sermon's about 30 minutes. I like to go about an hour for you new folks. Just kidding. 30 minutes. And you have an intro and a conclusion of, say, five minutes each. So you have 20 minutes of, like, new material. You would need an entire series and maybe even a full year or longer to really do uh, the topic of prayer justice. But my goal is, is this. I hope that somebody, if not more than one, will leave this morning and look back on this time as a time where maybe their prayer life was enriched, where they finally decided, look, I'm going to pray. I made that same comment last week, that I wish somebody would read the Bible more because of that sermon. I had a few people, my wife and some others, said, you know, I started reading my Bible this week. But I'll tell you, one of the biggest miracles, I started reading my Bible more this week. I read my Bible, but I I haven't dug into it like I've wanted. And... um, some months ago, I started a Bible reading program, and after about three weeks, it kind of did what happens to Bible reading programs at times, and fell, you know, the Bible I had, the program, it kind of had it set aside, and it was in the bedroom, and I was at the office, and well, I pulled it out on Tuesday and just started reading Scripture, uh, and I just, it was something special, because I felt like the Lord was honoring what we discussed, that He showed up, that the Bible came more alive, and, I, and that's something I need. And I believe that's something we all need. So I hope through this discussion there's not shame or guilt, but there's rather hope that, hey, we can grow. We can become people who know the Scripture. We can become people who converse with our Heavenly Father and and the other disciplines that we'll get to as well. Okay. 
So this is going to be a little bit interesting as a topical sermon because I'm going to jump around different passages. But we're going to just start by looking at Revelation 3, starting at verse 20. Backdrop, John, the Apostle John is the only apostle left when he writes Revelation. He is, uh, he's, um, this is, a, this is, a, this is um, again, a revelation from God about the end times. And he's revealing the words of Christ to the seven churches. And the seven churches at Laodicea has a problem, has a particular sin pattern. And I think, and this is where I'm going to be a little bit rude. This is what, pastors get to be mean. It's righteous meanness. I think this is a sin pattern that chill water suffers from, right? Chill water. I love still water. I should have gone to college here. I went to Norman. I should have come here. It's chill water. I love it. But the Bible Belt in general, I think this town particularly, and maybe this congregation, sometimes we can suffer from um, everything's chill. People ask me, how's your ministry going? I've been here three years. I'm like, it's awesome. No one has any sin problems. Like, no one comes to me with major issues. And I'm sort of afraid to poke the bear, you know? Like, if I start talking too much about sin and, and, and count, is it every, because I know you all have it, but we all, we've learned to chill, okay? So, that's my meanness for the moment. The issue in Laodicea was they were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And in verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is not, that is often misused as a, as a verse about conversion, about witnessing, about evangelism. This is, Jesus is talking to a church. He is saying, in the normal Christian life, you need to continue to pursue me. That is what he's saying. And that's what we will explore through prayer. And just to prove that point, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. It's a passage on returning to Jesus over and over. So let me pray, and then we'll begin to explore this topic, hopefully in a way that is fruitful and glorifying to God. Heavenly Father, we long for intimacy with you. But if we're honest, we're afraid of that intimacy with you. Because, Father, sometimes it's more comfortable to be lukewarm. Sometimes the thought of becoming cold in order to become hot is very scary. The thought of opening up the real issues of our lives before you is threatening. And so we prefer to put on masks. We prefer to hide behind religious speech and into groups and enclaves of people who seem to have it together. And Father, I, with somewhat fear and trepidation, pray that you would change us. That we would not be a church that plays the game and coasts through the Christian life. But we would be a church that seeks you at all costs to know you and to walk in your ways by being exposed in our own sin and resting in your righteousness. So I pray this morning as we explore the topic of prayer, Holy Spirit, you would attend to this discussion for your glory. Amen. So, this idea of Jesus standing at the door and, and knocking and, and being desiring to come closer seems strange at times. And uh, how do we learn to pray that prayer? How do we learn to pray in general? You know, in the old days, people learned to pray by reading people's prayers. Matthew Henry has a really great book on prayers and forms of prayer. 
you can read that. I think the Psalms provide a beautiful source of, of prayers. When, when the apostles said, teach us to pray, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, what did Jesus do? He gave them a form of prayer. Okay? Well, I'll tell you who's a good model for prayer is the Apostle Paul. right? And it's interesting because Paul goes through all of, uh, of, the, of the ancient world, Asia Minor, and plants churches at Ephesus and Corinth and uh, Colossae and Philippi and other places, Thessalonica. And these people have real problems. I mean, they really do. For one, Christianity is illegal, so they're going to face martyrdom, right? But also just sin problems and health problems and all sorts of problems. And yet Paul records prayers at the beginning of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. I just want to read you one from, Philippians, or from Ephesians where he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What does he pray? Verse 17, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. These are Christians. And Paul is saying, I want you to know Jesus better. Okay? Later in the same letter, chapter 3, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Listen to this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul is aware of the fact that we as Christians are constantly needing to pray for a deeper and more real walk with Jesus. He's, we are saved in Christ. When, when Revelation 3 says, I stand at the door and knock, the idea is not that he's outside of you. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. But as a Christian, we still need to press into him more, learning to abide in him more and more. And prayer is the fundamental means of grace by which that is made possible. Scripture comes alive through prayer, and prayer is our way of speaking to God. And here's, here's the, um, the problem. I don't think we have an issue with what prayer is. I think everybody in this room gave a pretty solid definition of what prayer is. It's conversing with God. Everybody kind of gets that. I think where we fumble a little bit, where we struggle, is what is prayer for? And the goal this morning is that you would leave here with this dominant thought, prayer is a gift from God by which we can know Him better and more intimately. Okay? It's, it's a gift that He has given us by which we can know Him more intimately and walk through this life closer to Him on an ever-increasing level. So, we're going to now pick a different scripture to kind of get to this. We're jumping around. This is a topical. And we're going to look at a, at a passage in just a moment from Hebrews. That's the one we're going to focus on for a minute. But the first thing I want us to draw attention, how do we get better at prayer, is we have to start with our, our theology. And that is, how do you have access to the Father? In the Old Testament, uh, the only way you could get to God through prayer Unless he spoke to you, which is very, very rare. You see a few instances where he speaks to, to different individuals. The only way was through priests, right? And, for example, Abraham was a priest. And when, when Abimelech, you know, takes Sarah, Abraham's wife, um, 
thinking it was his sister and there's this problem. God does speak to Abimelech, but then really what God tells Abimelech is go to Abraham and he will bless you and he will speak to you on my behalf. So this idea that you need a priest, we see that most obviously with Moses, right? Moses draws the people up out of Egypt and they're on their way uh, to the promised land and they come to Mount Sinai. And there's this picture that most theologians would say is a picture of the, of the, of the um, tabernacle where the, the mass of people the, the, are standing at the base of the mountain and they can't go further. And then up the mountain, up a little ways, pro, the priest can go. And to the very top, Moses goes. And there, he has connection with God. Right? And he wants to see God. And what does God tell him? If you look at me, you will die. And so... He graciously hides Moses in a cleft, right? And he passes by. And just the view of the backside of God was enough for Moses to glow. And when he comes off the mountain, he's glowing. And people realize he has been in the presence of God. Now come to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And let's see what what God has given us in Christ. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What the writer of Hebrews is saying there is something that if we could grasp, we are, last week we looked at um, James, remember, and we're talking about how humility is the needed heart disposition to engage Scripture. And in the passage we looked at last week, remember the, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is, your, is that your goal? That is the goal of, of Scripture, is that God would draw near to his people and we would return and draw near to God and have that intimacy. And here the writer of Hebrews is picking up on that very same thought. But he has this precursor, this need that has to happen. You remember um, in the, in the, when Zechariah went to the temple to pray and how he was even trembling to go into the place before the holy place? Like, it was that risky? Well, what, and then there's this thick curtain on the tabernacle, and when Jesus dies, it rips open. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that if you are in Christ, you have access, because of Jesus, to the holiest place. Is that something you're desiring in your prayer life? I think sometimes we have two problems with our prayer life that really result from one issue. And that is this. We often, in our way to avoid God, we avoid Him by praying really Um, either not at all, you either don't pray at all, or we pray really religious prayers. Okay, So we have this sort of, these these problems that are are arising out of our fear of exposure to God. Right? So religious people pray really religious prayers. They use really religious language. And I'm not going to mimic it. It would be really fun. But I'm not going to, in case it was you, or me other times. Or the other extreme, I think, is to lower God. You see this a lot. I love Russell Westbrook. Uh, won the MVP, it's exciting. But he does this thing where he says, I want to thank the man upstairs. Like, what? There's a man upstairs? Thank, thank you, Russell, you know? And so we kind of lower God because we're afraid of the reality that God is someone, or 
to be in awe of. And that is overwhelming. And it's this weird place because on one hand, we don't want to make it such that, you know, we, well, if he's so uh, fearful, I don't even want to go near him, right? But on the other hand, we don't want to lower him so low that it's like casual, like he and I are pals. He doesn't have any power, but we're buddies, you know? He tries to help out a little bit. He's the man upstairs. And that's not the picture the scriptures give. The picture the scriptures give is he is the God of the universe, the triune God, and we have access to his throne by the blood of Jesus, and we are to tremble in our prayer on some level, but in a beautiful way. Here's the, here's the picture from Scripture. Isaiah 6, one of my favorite places. Isaiah comes before the throne of God. He's being commissioned, and on the throne is, is, is God, and the, the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. And, and Isaiah is overwhelmed. And what does he say in response? The first words out of his mouth, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips. I've heard people say things like, yeah, he may have had a problem with cussing or something. No. Isaiah is a prophet, and he's been, he knows he's been prophesying about God, but when he sees God, I think for the first time he realizes, that is not, you are not what I've been describing. You are holy. You are glorious. And, and I'm a man of unclean lips, and our people are, are people of unclean lips. Are you in awe? When you go to God, are you responding like Joseph? That is the goal. I think the goal of drawing near to God would be that we would be in awe of him um, and, and be in awe of his glory. I think of the story of Joseph, though, where, where the brothers, remember, they sold Joseph into slavery, and later in life he has become the second in charge of all of Egypt. And over he has all these resources because he, he was shown by God there would be a famine, and he had the Pharaoh, or the Pharaoh had him, store up a lot, enough resources so that when the famine came, he could spare Egypt, and here come his brothers. And they show up, and there's this process where they find out who he really is. And when they find out who Joseph is, they're terrified, right? And Joseph plays the game for a little bit, but eventually he weeps, and he embraces them, and they love him, and they have that encounter. But they don't immediately treat him like he's no longer in the power he's in. Does that make sense? He's still Joseph, the one who's over Egypt. And so when we come to God in Christ, one of our initial goals is that we would come in awe, but yet with the familiarity of, of a father. Does that make sense? Because of what Christ has done. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. But how do we do that? And he goes further. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance and faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And the way, so here's the answer. The way we do it is we have to approach God in confession. When you draw near to God, you have to confess, right? There will not be a time, if I could get one point across, you cannot approach God in prayer and think, you know, I have nothing to confess. Like, I've done pretty good for the last 30 minutes or three days. We always have things to confess. What do we have to confess? What is it that we have to confess? I don't just mean your particular sins. What I'm saying is when you draw near to God, you're drawing close to him with open hands, and you can say, Lord, I am not worthy. I have sinned and I have walked from you, but you, but you can confess these sins, right? Does that, does that 
I mean, is there ever a time where you go before the Lord and say, I've got it together? The writer Ol Halsby, there's a lot of books I, I use, and that's why it's a little bit. Ol Halsby wrote a great book on prayer. I highly recommend it. And he opens up by saying, you must come helpless. And this is why I think our prayer lives are a little bit boring at times. Is oftentimes when I come before the Lord, I have an agenda. I have something I'm wanting him to do. And it's usually great things. Help my job, help my family, help my health, help my, my ambitions. And these are all wonderful things. But what God is calling us to do, especially we see this in this passage, is we come into the holy places and we say, you are in charge. Cleanse me of my false ambitions. Show me your will and I will join you in partnership. Conf- you know, we, and we come in empty-handed. We come in confessing. Right? You have to, Augustine says this when he talks about prayer. His first rule of prayer is you must count yourself as desolate. This is a very difficult thing to do. It's very hard. It's very hard when you finally say, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to pray, I'm turning over a new leaf. Ryan's talking about praying and reading our Bible. This is great, open the Bible. And let me start by confessing. It's hard to do. I'll get to some practical points in a moment, but nonetheless, just hear me. That is an important step, right? But also, what makes this passage really, I think, pop, is you're also supposed to confess your righteousness in Christ. He says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, right? That our hearts have been sprinkled clean from the evil conscience. So when I go to the Lord in prayer, I both can confess my sin, but I can also proclaim my righteousness in Christ. I can actually go before the Lord and say, I am in you. I am a Christian. I'm in, by faith, I have come before your throne, and I claim the promises. Do you pray that way? Do you pray these kinds of prayers? Lord, I'm your child. I'm the one whom, um, whom you've, you've given salvation to. I'm the one you've called to this particular life. And Lord, I am drawing close to your purposes and, and partnering with you in whatever endeavors you've called me to. And if they're not your endeavors, take me somewhere else. But Lord, as far as I know, I've got these children and, and this job. And, and I live in this town. I'm in these roles, and I seek your glory in these places. Would you lead in this? And you're partnering with him. Those are, um, you're praying as a son or a daughter. So prayer, why is it so difficult? Because it calls us to do this dying. It calls us to both come and die and then live in Christ. And, and my concern from when I am struggling in my prayer life is that I really am trying to drive my agenda and before I get to some practical thoughts, I'll use an illustration I've used before of George Mueller because I think it helps us to see somebody who had amazing answers to prayer. If you've heard of George Mueller, he was a missionary from, well, to England, and he established orphanage, or at least one orphanage, maybe more. And he was just known because of the way God would answer prayer. And I read a, well, there's a couple of biographies I read, Sears' biography on him, and it's the kind of thing where you're like, did that really happen? Like, did God really answer that prayer? One example that you, maybe you've heard, he, the orphans and, and George and the other workers have no bread. And so they, they have no money, 
And then George said, let's just pray. Let's pray for this meal. And, and then there's a knock at the door. And it's a man who delivers bread. And his truck had broken down. Um, like maybe half a mile away. And he said, hey, this broke down. And I have this bread. And it's going to go bad before I can deliver it. It's yours if you want it. That kind of a story happens over and over in George Mueller's life. And it's verified. He kept account. People, it was, people saw these things happening and supported the ministry because of them. Another example, uh, he's on a speech, speaking tour, and he's in America. He's on a ship trying to come into harbor, somewhere like New York or somewhere, and there's fog. And the captain comes to him and says, I'm sorry, we're going to have to stay out at sea for a little while, and you'll probably miss your appointment, your speaking engagement. And George said, let's go pray. And so they sit down to pray. Um, and this is verified because they pray that the fog would lift, and he comes out, and the fog is lifted, and they can make safe harbor. And someone later went to that captain said, did that really happen? And his account goes more like this. Yes, it happened. Actually, we both went in to pray, and then when I began to pray, George stopped me. And he said, you don't believe. You don't really believe this is going to happen. Let's just not. Don't, and I don't know. It just, it, the captain himself was like blown away by the miracle that God uh, delivered him. The, the fog was moved and they landed. But here's what makes George Mueller so amazing. He said, I'm not trying to get you to have these amazing answers. It would be great, right? He said, I'm just trying to get people to get into fellowship with their father, to have this intimacy with their father. And he says, there's two things I had to do to see my prayer life turn around. The first, I had to die, George Mueller says. To what everybody out there thinks of me. I have to die to that. That is, your, that is our greatest struggle in prayer and in life, is that we are so consumed by what the world thinks of us. And social media just exacerbates it to no end. We want everyone to love us. And for George Mueller, a major breakthrough was when the gospel became so clear to him who Jesus was and his union with Christ that he could say, I had to die to what everyone thought of me. And secondly, and I think this is harder. George said, I had to die to what I thought of George Mueller. See, a lot of us can swing past the people thing, but we get stuck in what we think of ourselves. We love us. And the scriptures call you to come and to die to both and to live to Christ. And what hinders our prayer more than ever is we want the means that God has given of scripture and prayer, but we leave off the grace. What do I mean by that? You can't have grace if you're not a sinner. Grace is for broken people. Are you broken? If you're not, then keep trying what you're doing and see how the prayer life goes. But if you are a sinner, it will finally take hold of you when you come before the Lord daily in your devotional time. And I am calling for us to do this, by the way. It sounds, whoa, legalism, quiet times. This is way out for, you know, I thought we preached grace here. Well, yeah, I do. But to the way we gain that grace, we get it because of God. There's nothing we can do to earn it. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But the way we experience it, the way it moves us in our Christian life is when we come before the Scriptures in prayer. And you have to do both. And the Holy Spirit promises to be present and to bring these alive to you. So, in the next two minutes, here's some practical suggestions. Last week I asked you to read your Bible. How's that going? Probably half of you weren't here and the other half were here, and so they're like needing to listen to this sermon and you do that. 
my encouragement would be to read at least the Psalms as the prayer book of the Bible. And notice the, the types of prayers in the Psalms. And begin to meditate on that. Secondly, and, and maybe as importantly, ch- turn to parts of the Scripture you're familiar with. I think sometimes in my pride, I'm like, I'm going to read a hard book. And there, and there are some hard ones. It's all Bible. It's all God-breathed. But there are some places where, you know, Psalm 23, you're not going to struggle with the exegesis of that one, right? You're going to get it. Uh, Romans 8. You know, turn to places that are familiar. Some of the passages we've talked about this morning, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, etc. Read it, but then read it again. And then read it again. This is called meditation. Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, is really almost a book on meditation, but I highly recommend that book. It's more of an encyclopedia. It's not a very clear, like, one idea. It's many different ways of experiencing and understanding prayer. But I I would think if you just bought the index, it's worth the price of the book. The footnotes are phenomenal. Or that's what I mean, not the index, but the footnotes. The works cited. It's amazing who he's quoting and who he's looking at. And So that's an aside. Do that. But one of the things he found out for his own prayer life was that he would go from Bible reading, this is before he grew in prayer, and then he tried to read, tried to start praying, and he'd be kind of cold. And he said, I discovered meditation on Scripture. And so you're reading your Bible, and that's really great, but you have to begin to chew on it and chew it again, especially short passages that you know are significant but aren't clicking. I shared with you last week about John 6 and how I had to reread and reread and prayerfully read. Lord, show me what this means. Show me my sin. Show me why I'm resistant to these ideas. And he opens your eyes and, the, and you become warmed to the scripture and then you begin to pray. Keller quote, I think it's uh, Luther who every morning would pray through the Ten Commandments. He'd meditate through them and say, how am I breaking that one? How am I breaking that one? Isn't that a wonderful? Cheer up. You're all breaking all of them. Um, okay. But Christ says, you're in me. You're, 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 you're preaching the gospel to yourself. But you, you're not just confessing sin. You're confessing your righteousness in Christ. And, and through the scriptures and through prayer, it begins to change you. So, you're meditating. You're praying. And then when you're praying, is God beautiful? I mean, that's... I think one of the things we often miss is the beauty and the glory of God. Are we adoring him? I'm going to just throw out the, the ACTS one acronym. There's a lot of different ones, but adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then petition, but I don't know how that fits in. Somebody? Thank you, Gary. I knew Gary would know that one. That's a, it's a navigator prayer, right? Am I right? It's, they invented that? Anyway, it's great. So you, I think often I start with, I mentioned confessing earlier, but early on in the prayer process, adoring God is beautiful. And the Psalms do this all the time. You read the Psalms and they just pop with, um, ascribe to the Lord, glory do his name. You know, and it goes through all the things he's done. Do we, we can do that in confession. right? And then you get to petition. And then you get to supplication. right? And when you do that, pray expectantly. Lord, heal this person. Lord, deliver this person. I have unbelieving family uh, right now in town, and, and my, my children do a much better job praying for them than I do. Do I have faith to pray for them? All of this is centered on the fact that I come before the God who is in the Scripture. It's coming to life, and I'm able to now pray more richly than ever. 
when I no longer am simply trying to build up me. Does that make sense? I've got really bad news. Everything I've said is impossible on your own. So there's no real technique. But the good news is Jesus loves you. And if you ask him, it will happen. If, if all you did was limped out of this sermon, wondered what the heck Ryan even talked about, and maybe in about an hour or two, once the fog disappeared that I created, just said, Jesus, teach me to pray. He will answer that prayer. Jesus, open my eyes to you. Let your scripture come to life. Partner with him, and your prayer life will grow, and the scriptures will grow. And then let's share each with each other. I didn't read that part of, of Hebrews, but do not give up meeting together. Share it with one another. Talk about what God's doing in your life. Want it. The second you lose 10 pounds, you tell everybody. You know? It's like, that's what I did. When we pray, let's tell people, I've been praying. This is really kind of working. You want to pray together or read this together? Let's make this a, a community of growth. Let me close this now in prayer. Lord, a lot of information, but one truth. You love your people. And Father, you have adopted us. We did nothing to earn. And Lord, now you are saying you promise to draw near to us. And you're sending your spirit into our heart to cry, Abba, Father. And you're the one creating the desire in our heart anyway. We really are just the recipient of all of your grace. But teach us, Lord, to cry that out as well. Joining in with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Abba, Father, come close. Lord, teach us to die to our ways and live to your ways. Teach us to, as Paul prays in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, to be strengthened in our knowledge of you and our wisdom, um, better grasping the truths of godliness that you bring, that we would walk in all of your ways and long for you. For your glory. Amen.